This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Going to play good franchise, bad franchise a little bit later. JP Finley covers the Commanders, joins me. Zach Berman will join midway through and we'll chop it up. He covers the Eagles. We'll let you guess which one's the good franchise, which one's the bad franchise. A little compare and contrast and also just dive into the specifics of those two teams that seem to be going in opposite directions. Um, Ron Rivera press conferences not hitting a high note. This week, I would say, a new ownership with the Commanders. Um, I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Um, quickly want to talk about the starting quarterbacks for this Sunday. It is a quarterback apocalypse. Um, this was probably confirmed. And I, listen, everybody was like, well, Aiden O'Connell replacing Jimmy Garoppolo. This is rough. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo is also rough. So, like, let's not act like there's some floor on Jimmy Garoppolo. It's going to be some good quarterback play. He's awful. Awful, awful, awful. And I was looking at some of his metrics yesterday, and he's inaccurate. He His success rate is like 25th, 26th in the league. Um, it's you can't, get the, you can't get the ball out of his hands. This is, this is rough stuff. So it's not like there's some huge downgrade. But from the big picture standpoint, I'm looking at the list right now. Let's go through it. So Brett Rippon might start for the Rams. Gardner Minshew, obviously, in Indianapolis, just starting every single week. Uh, Taylor Heineke is actually an upgrade on Desmond Ritter. But then you have Tyson Bajant, Clayton Toon, Jaron Hall, P.J. Walker. Again, P.J. Walker, not a huge downgrade from the starter there. Trubisky could go in Pittsburgh. We'll see what happens there. This is, and then obviously, like, there's a bunch of quarterbacks who just aren't very good. You know, Sam Howell's just okay, generously. I mean, Mac Jones could be a... Could be playing like a backup. You could make that case that he's playing like a backup. There's just not a good quarterback play. And the good quarterback play, Mahomes and Tua, uh, they're in Germany this week. So stateside, not a lot of good passers. And I want to address something. So part of this is just bad luck. Whether that's like Minnesota, Kirk Cousins should be playing. Some of that's bad luck with injuries. That's just going to happen. It is why you put these guys in bubble wrap and make sure they don't get hurt. And everybody says, oh, body weight. No, 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 we can't have these rough and passive injuries. Well, all of a sudden you're watching a rookie from BYU play for the Vikings and you're saying, damn, I miss Kirk Cousins. And you're like, ah, well, the body weight thing's not too bad. But the more pressing thing for me is that the league just, I feel, doesn't develop young backup quarterbacks as well as they should or have competent backup quarterbacks. Part of this is the way quarterback spending has changed where you give a guy $45 million and then the guy behind him makes one six and is Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon. Um, and I think that the 2011 CBA, which we've all kind of discussed at nauseum here, cut practice time and gave very little reps to the third, fourth quarterbacks, the kind of developmental quarterbacks. I mean, like we always remember the Packers in the mid nineties where they or we, some of us are young, but uh, some of you guys are young. I'm not, I'm an old person, but I remember the Packers in the nineties where it's like, okay, they're developing guys every single year. And they're just, these guys are getting reps, whether that's Kurt Warner, Matt Hasselbeck, uh, Mark Brunel, like these guys behind Brett Favre were getting reps in the Holmgren system, the Bill Walsh system. And then they were pressing forward from there. And that ain't happening anymore. That's not happening at all because you don't have the practice time. But then beyond that, I think that that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where they just don't put any emphasis into it. There's the old anecdote, the Tom Moore anecdote um, that Ron Jaworski told in his book where 
uh, they were saying that they asked why Peyton Manning backups don't get any reps. And Tom Moore said, because if Peyton Manning goes down, we're effed. You can fill in the blank there. And we don't practice effed. We don't practice being effed. We don't practice effed. And I think that as that develops, and like I'll give you a great example. A couple of years ago, Derek Carr goes down around Christmas time in the year of the he almost what was felt like an MVP candidate, right? 2016. And uh, and they go through all those quarterbacks and they lose the playoff game in Oakland, obviously. And somebody asked Jack Del Rio a couple of weeks later, what did you learn about football this year? What did you learn about your team this year? And he said, I learned not to lose my quarterback. And I just felt like that was such a self-defeating philosophy that like you can't do anything. And like you think about the Eagles who are always developing, who are always drafting a quarterback, developing a quarterback. Um, think about the Titans who now who, draft, who drafted two quarterbacks over two years. That's what you need to be doing. Investing in the position, giving guys opportunities, knowing where you are in your life cycle. I feel like we've gotten to a situation where teams are hopeless. Most teams, 25 teams are hopeless beyond the starter. And you wish they could put more emphasis on developing the backup quarterback so that it's not a complete nightmare when they have to go somewhere else. So uh, it, it, you get weeks like this, it's just going to happen. Um, but normally it's like week 16. Normally it's week 17. The fact that it's happening midseason should at least lead to some self-scouting in NFL facilities saying, why are we starting the worst quarterback on the planet? Why is this player on our roster? Why is Tommy DeVito on the roster in New York? Like, I, I watch a lot of ACC football. I know we finished up at Illinois, but, like, I wasn't looking at Tommy DeVito and saying, this guy belongs on an NFL roster. Like, if you can't – if you don't trust a guy to throw, there's other options out there. Maybe – do you not – like, I understand that he's the third stringer, but, like, there's a lot of good developmental quarterbacks who at least do something on a football field. I don't think DeVito is one of them. So, quarterback apocalypse, I don't know how to – I don't know how to fix the problem. I'm not, I'm not a quarterback's coach, but it needs to get better. Otherwise, we're just going to keep having these sort of weeks. All right, here's JP and eventually Zach Berman. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull. And then... Place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great. You keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code BET. Amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's, New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050. 
or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Commander's Insider, J.P. Finley joins. What's going on, brother? How are you, man? Thank you for having me. I can't imagine a more chaotic place to be an insider of over the past five years, and by five years, I mean 20 years, than Commander's Park. Um I was there during training camp. There was a new mood. But I'll ask you, since you know more than anybody, what's changed this year? You know, I, I think the trade deadline was really the first kind of mm. day we saw the the new group put their put their hands around this thing. Um, outside of, you know, kind of like, like, I mean, they, they've repainted and put some new furniture in. They've spent a little bit of money. But so far, it's all kind of lipstick on a pig stuff. <laughs> this is actual organizational stuff, you know, and um, they'll say whatever they want. There's no way that this iteration of the commander's front office and coaching staff wanted to trade away Montez Sweat. I, the second round pick is good value, especially with where the Bears are going to be picking. But that that is ownership saying, hey, we're, we're looking long term here and not chasing a, a wild card spot. Um, and that's a a huge change for this franchise. I mean, under the Snyder era, it was short-sighted, haphazard, you know, zigzagging all over the place. Whereas these Harris guys, I mean, Josh Harris and then the group put together, they're all about building title teams, even if they have to take a, a long view to get there. Right. And that is a dramatic change from a football standpoint in, in DC. So that's what I was going to ask. Is there going to be a process like every and by process, it's capital T, capital P, like Josh Harris did with the Sixers. Um, I'm not really sure with the Devils yet. I know the Devils are good now and they just drafted a bunch of good players. So I don't know if that was right. a process or not. Um, but is that it, it, like I think there was a lot when as soon as the transaction came down, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not that could even work, whether he would try that approach, what kind of GM coach he would hire, whether or not it would be analytics. Sorry to Ron Rivera. We are openly speculating about your future. Um, is there a read on what approach they're going to take? Yeah, I, you know, I think the NFL and the NBA are just so different that you yes. can't really go all in on a trust the process kind of thing because the NBA is so star driven and outside of quarterbacks 100%. in the NFL, it's just different. Um, but I, I think, I mean, you're kind of seeing it. You trade away Chase Young and Montez Sweat for a second and a third, which I think is frankly pretty good value. I, I agree. Um, I, I, you know, they're starting a different vision and the vision of Ron just trying to build up this defense. I mean, this defense had six first-rounders on it. You had the four up front, Jamin Davis, the linebacker, and Emmanuel Forbes, a kid they just drafted. Um, six first-rounders, and they're 30 – as of today, eight weeks into the season, they're 31st in points allowed. Like, yep. the vision right now wasn't working. And it's interesting because now Ron's trying to sell it as, well, we've got our quarterback of the future, so we got to build around him. I, I kind of think that's – Oh, yeah, that was – yeah. Um, the first press conference after the trade deadline, Ron, were, he clearly had his talking points on yeah. this thing. And I kind of think he's trying to angle to keep his job and, and such, yeah. and I understand Sam, it. Sam, always trying to angle to keep my job. <laughs> Me and you both. 
it, but it was uh, it, it, he he's what I would say is a premature declaration. But he's like, I'm pretty sure we've got our guy, and we're going to build around him, and and that's why we've changed and traded these Sweat and Young away. It it was a reach, um, but I you know he's got to say something to maybe try to keep his team invested, and and for him to sell, he needs a sales pitch to the new owners. A couple of things about that. I like Ron a lot, and I've had some great interactions with him. He's going to need to do a little better than that as far as talking points. He's got to do a little better than that. Like, I, I honestly think the pivot there is like, we're rebuilding, and who better to guide these young pups than me? Even though that's not necessarily true. Like, just come up with something other than we've got our we've got our quarterback of the future. And also, by the way, if you have the quarterback of the future, there are a lot of people better equipped to guide him than Ron Rivera, who's a defensive coach with – a recently a middling track record on basically everything. Um, so you went viral a couple weeks ago with the Jonathan Allen clip, um, which I thought was great as someone who not necessarily on camera, but like, you know, it talking to the phone when someone's giving you like the quote of the week nationally or quote of the month nationally, as Jonathan Allen was giving you when he basically said, I'm tired of this X, we, we, we bleep out curse words in this show, so I cannot paraphrase it. But he basically said, I'm tired of losing. You kept a straight a face the paraphrase. entire time. Yeah, you, you, you kept a straight face the entire time. You did like the very TV like nod like he was saying everything normal. I had a huge respect for how you approached that. Um, but my question is, things have gotten, let's say, more desperate since then because of the trades, because of the situation they're in. Um, we saw, even though the commanders could have played worse against the Eagles, we at least saw – what the gap is um, on Sunday. And I'm curious, like that locker room, uh, what's, I know this is such a stupid talk radio question, but I, I'm curious to get your perspective. What's the mood um, post trade deadline when people were already pretty bleak? Yeah, it's a, it's a really fair question. So the first day we, we, today is Thursday morning. We were in there Wednesday afternoon. Um, and, a couple of things you notice right away. Chase Young and Montez Sweat are huge humans. I mean, they're both. <laughs> they're, they're like, and, and and listen, I work in the NFL. Like, all these guys are big. Yeah. Those guys are really big, and they stand out. And they're big personalities, loud. Chase is always playing music. They're always yelling at each like, like, fun banter, but yelling and joking and, like, making fun of each other's college football teams and yeah. stuff. Um and and that was just missing, and it was much quieter. It was, I, you, you don't want to call something somber, but it was everybody in that room realized kind of what was happening. No matter how much you try to sell the future or whatever's coming next, everybody in that room realized that because of the trade deadline on Tuesday, this team got worse for Sunday in New England. And it, it, it's funny you mentioned the John thing. He wasn't. He, he wasn't in the locker room on Wednesday. Normally he talks every Wednesday. And, and if I had to guess, I kind of think he didn't want to potentially go nuts again and say something that he, he wouldn't want to. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, JP. Um, and, and I don't think he's, spoiler alert, he's not going to be in the locker room anytime soon. He is a captain. I feel like. The, the reporter in me feels that he owes us a comment on this before Sunday <laughs> afternoon's game, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get it. So well, today, Thursday, is is usually a much lighter media scene in there, so I kind of think he'll talk today, but we'll see. He also missed practice yesterday, which I think was mm -hmm. just a, a day off, but that makes it a lot easier to not talk. 
Yeah, I'd say. Uh, last thing before we bring in Zach Berman for a three-man weave, the plan at quarterback for Commanders, like, it can't really be Sam Howell, dude. It can't. Like, I know what you said about Ron Rivera saying we have the quarterback of the future, but, like, I, I am a football dumbass. I do not understand a lot of what I see. If I went to an Eagles practice right now and I'm standing next to Zach Berman, there's a lot I would miss. When I was at Commanders training camp, I saw Sam Howell, and, and I've told the story a million times, but, like, it, it is, and, and I, I would also put – unfairly or unfairly I put Kenny Pickett in this as well where like straight dropbacks he's holding on to the ball forever and maybe there's some up-tempo stuff you can do but I'm just like this doesn't work on a Sunday in October it just doesn't work it doesn't work at camp it doesn't work now like I my football evaluation skills are so so the bar is so low but Sam Howell doesn't clear it um Tell me what the plan actually is going to be. Are they going to try to get, try to draft a guy? Are they going to try to uh, take a big swing at a trade? Like the quarterback plan for next year with Josh Harris is what? If you listen to Ron, he thinks they've got the guy. Now I'm not even sure yeah. he believes that. Yeah, but also, also I don't know how long Ron's going to be around to make the decision there, JP. Right. Yeah, I, I right. I think. Um, I think the new guys will give Sam the remainder of this year as kind of yeah. this extended look, tryout, evaluation, whatever you want to call it. But I, I, I will not be surprised a kid that's been sacked 41 times in eight games if they're looking again. And now all of a sudden after the trades, you've got five picks probably. Uh, you've got three picks in the top 35. You're going to yeah. have five in the top 100 certainly, but probably four in the top 65. Um I won't be stunned if, if if we get to January, February, and, and there's QB talk again. There's always QB talk in Washington, man. It's just what we do here. Too bad they burned all the bridges with Kirk Cousins, by the way, um, who might be available on a on a cheaper ish deal with that injury. Don't, um, the last guys burned those bridges. There's new guys, so maybe you can yeah, build new okay. bridges. Maybe, maybe still get that minivan parked somewhere. We're bringing in Zach Berman <laughs> from PHLA. Is that it? Did I get the, the the letters right, Zach Berman? P-H-L-Y. I appreciate that. Ah, damn it. I'm yeah. sorry about that. It's a great new website. Um, they went out and they hired Zach. They went out and they hired Bo Wolf. They're serious about this thing. What's going on, brother? Doing great. Congratulations on your show. Good to be on here. Thanks, man. Um, so we're going to play good franchise, bad franchise for a couple minutes is it, when you guys are both <laughs> here. So we were talking earlier, Zach, about um, – the new ownership in Washington and what they're going to do and, and whether or not they're going to take a longer approach. If you're Jeffrey Lurie, let's, let's pretend that you're Jeffrey Lurie and you're giving Josh Harris advice on how to run one of the best franchises in the NFC and one of the most consistent, like they make good coaching hires every time they make good uh, GM, they, they, they make good front office hires. It seems like every time they get a number two, he's immediately a GM candidate and a smart guy. Um, there's a stability there. And I'm curious, being around it every single day, Zach Berman, the good, key to that good franchise, Mr. Lurie, is what? You know, I, I've actually discussed this with them quite a bit. The, the league's set up for everyone to go 8-8, eight and eight, right? So if you're making right. the same decisions that everyone else is doing, you're probably just going to be an 8-8 eight and eight team, uh, plus or minus you know, two wins. So, so you, you really need to go against the grain in some of your decisions. But in, in terms of the way it's built – uh, the offensive and defensive lines, like every yep. single year, there's always this this talk, are the Eagles going to draft this running back? Are the Eagles going to draft this linebacker? And then, and then they draft the pass rusher or they draft the pass protector, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that and, and uh, 
make smart trades. You know, don't yeah. don't be so focused on like the next six months. Be thinking about the next six years, and that's uh, I, I think that's what Howie's done particularly well. JP, I'm curious. So when you're viewing this as a team building thing, you, the defensive and offensive lines, obviously, they, they trade Montez Sweat and Chase Young. So all of a sudden, they're getting rid of some of the talent on the defensive lines. But it feels like they they may be considering the contract status and all that stuff made those trades in a smart way to get a second and third round pick. So I'm curious if you're just looking at it from a roster perspective, do they win this week or do they lose? You know, I, I, if you're a Commanders fan, and Zach, what's up, dude? I, I think the excitement surrounding tr- those trades, especially in, in the framework of how you thinking about six years, not necessarily six months. I think most commanders fans are excited because yeah. it, it shows a new mindset and, and to the, everybody is supposed to go eight and eight. I mean, under Snyder, everything was so status quo driven yes. and they, 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 they were often arrogant when they thought they were being confident and just didn't have the <laughs> roster. And, I mean, dude, you talk about O-lines and D-lines. Yeah, they invested on the D-line. When Ron got here, they had Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff, all pros on the offensive line. And they systematically got rid of everybody. Morgan Moses, Eric Flowers, and, and their offensive line has suffered throughout. And now you've got this young quarterback who's getting killed. And a lot of it's on him, but not all yeah. of it. And you wonder if they had a better line, how that would look. Um, they did win this week, but it's a big-picture view. Is Josh Harris still viewed as a Philly guy in Washington? Nah, because he's nah. from here. Okay, all nah. right. He, he grew up here. And Wait, when he but, talks about going to RFK, I think Well, let's resonates. flip it. Zach, is is Josh Harris now, like, people at Sixers games being like, Josh, bro, come on. You can't go against the Eagles. Is there, is there a weird vibe there? Frankly, I'm, I'm not convinced Josh Harris is viewed as a Philly guy in Philly, right? But, uh, oh. but no, I, I think that what he's done with this – yeah, it, it is kind of this odd thing that he owns – this NFC East rival. Uh, he also yeah. owns the uh, rival in in the NHL as well, Fair right? Enough, the, yeah. the, the, the Devils and the Flyers. Uh, but uh, with the Sixers, I, I think as long as he's investing money and keeping Joel Embiid <laughs> happy, the fans will be happy enough. Love that, JP. We're gonna let you go. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. All right, see you down the road. All right, Zach. Um, let's get into the nitty gritty of this team because I hesitated to crown them for a long time because they looked inconsistent for the first few weeks of the season. Uh, we got a listener question maybe three weeks ago that made me laugh so much that was, uh, are the Eagles going to be the worst 18-0 and team of all time? And I, I, and I think that kind of speaks to the psyche of the fan base where you see the, what looked like, I mean, obviously they played a, a worse schedule last year, but it looked so fluid. It, or sorry, it looked so efficient and it looked um, so perfect, frankly, um, with Sirianni, with Jalen Hurts. He wasn't missing throws. Everything seemed to be a well-oiled machine. Um, the difference between last year's team and this year's team so far has been what, Zach? Jalen Hurts hasn't been running the ball as effectively as he did a year ago. And I, I, I think that was a big part of it earlier in the season, and especially now when he's, he's dealing with a knee injury. So that, that takes away some of what they're doing offensively. Uh, but they're still – I mean, they could have scored 50 on Washington last week. A.J. Brown's catching everything that's coming his way. So it's it's looking differently. But to answer the question succinctly, I, I think opposing defensive coordinators and opposing teams spent the offseason watching the Eagles and really trying to take away kind of the, the explosive plays and yeah. the run-pass option game. So uh, a couple things about that. Is there a concerted effort 
with Hurts because this has happened with Josh Allen, some of these other guys, where it's like, all right, dude, it's September 12th, save your body. Don't don't take unnecessary hits. And, and I remember Brandon Bean has said that a lot where he'll, he will just – he will yell at Josh for taking a hit he doesn't need to hit to take, um, you know, in October in Miami. And I'm curious, is there a game plan for, for Hurts' running or is it just that – uh, he's not as sharp uh, as he was last year. He's, he's more hesitant to do it for whatever reason. Yeah, so early in the season, it seemed like he was a, a little more hesitant and he was getting down quicker. And yeah. then it became a big story in Philly. And he had a game against the Rams where he was just like, all right, you're all talking about this. Let me show you what I can do. <laughs> and, and, and he, you know, he, he has his best rushing game of the season. So I think they, they know that's there. But certainly these, these past three weeks, it's been more muted because he is dealing with a knee injury. Right, right, right. Um, I want to ask about the tush push really quickly because you've said you've said a bunch of times um, you've, you've paraphrased Nick Sirianni basically saying that this play works for the 2023 20, or 2022 2023 Eagles. It might not work for the 2025 Eagles, and it does, it's not going to work for the 2023 Jets. Um, tell me something I don't understand about the tush push and why it works and we had mitchell schwartz on a couple weeks ago and he was talking about jason kelsey and how he's probably the most valuable uh jenga piece to an offensive line because if you don't have that kind of push and also he basically equated it to old school field goal blocking which i found to be pretty interesting insight but like being there every day seeing it like the tush push speaks to what and what's kind of the key ingredient of it the offensive line uh, like you said, like the strength of the offensive line and the precision with, with which they do this play, the the like physical strength of this quarterback. I mean, Jalen Hurts, you've all seen him power lift on those on those national games uh, or, or, or squat like he is. He's a stronger quarterback than most. And then they, like before this became a big national story, they repped it, repped it, repped it to the point yeah, yeah. that like they do it better than the other teams. A hundred percent. And that was, we've seen it over and over again. Like, it's not just that, first of all, this whole thing feels like a viral advertisement for how much Jalen Hurts squats. I cannot believe, yes. like, he must yeah. feel so amazing about everybody being like, wow, Jalen Hurts squats a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we yeah. have the play now that gets him, that get, every single time someone tweets how much he squats. Um, but that, that's that's it. Like, th- certain teams do things well. You Just because they're good in true yardage. Also, by the way, if you ban this play, guess what? My guess is the Eagles are still going to be pretty good at short yardage because they have a Hall of Fame center, a Hall of Fame yeah. tackle, a quarterback who can run the ball, uh, toughness everywhere. That's how they built their lines. And I think I've told you the story, but um, a couple of years ago, I was doing a piece in, in uh, and I was at the facility and I was talking to, it was right after the full Super Bowl. And I was talking to some of the folks there and we were all just sitting around. And I was like, oh, you guys went for it on fourth down. You guys, uh, uh, you know, making all these trades. One-year deals were a big thing, obviously, on that team and trying to figure out who could, who should stay, you know, kind of low-risk deals. And somebody stopped me and they were like, would you shut up? It's in a loving way. They were just like, we won because of our offensive and defensive lines. And everything else is certainly helped and was a bonus and was a tiebreaker with some of these other teams. But like we won because of our offensive and defensive lines and everything flows through there. And so like, this is the tush push is just the product of that philosophy is that if they need one yard or two yards, they can get it. Um, all right. But let's talk about Jalen hurts, the quarterback, because you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the running game and the efficiency. Is he missing throws this year that he didn't miss last year at all? I actually don't think so. I, I, I think he's been better as a passer. Uh, and, and part of that is just because A.J. Brown's playing at a level that he, that, uh, 
unlike anything that's happened in Philly since uh, since T.O. was here. But uh, Jalen, earlier in the season, I just think the explosive plays weren't there as, as much. Some of the defensive structures that they played. And then they, they, they did see some unscouted looks, especially against New England and, and Minnesota, uh, that was just a little different than what Jalen was exposed to a year ago. But I, I think if you look at these past few weeks in particular – and again, AJ has a lot to do with it, but I, I I don't think he's he's missing throws, and he's actually on pace to have his his best passing season of his career. I don't know AJ Brown. I don't think I've ever really been around him. Um, but the numbers he, he's putting up are special, and in a different year, yeah. can make a case for MVP. Frankly, um, if we were more creative about the MVP award instead of giving it to the best quarterback and the best team, but we don't do that anymore. So we can't talk about yeah. a Tyreek Hill or, or an AJ Brown for MVP. Um, but the key to his success, like the catch radius is unbelievable. The physicality is unbelievable. The speed down the field is unbelievable. Um, what don't I know about AJ Brown in his game? Well, you, well, you out, outlined it well, but I, I think the yards after the catch are yeah. the, that's, that's what jumps out to me. Like when the ball is in his hands, he is he's a, a power running back. I mean, he's just he's yeah. literally built differently than other wide receivers. And it's I mean, like Devontae Smith is is special in his own way. But if you see Devontae and AJ Brown standing next to each other, uh, the stark contrast is there. So I, I think AJ Brown's like physical size, the presence that he brings uh, when he has the ball in his hands is just fundamentally different than what you see from most receivers. Nick Sirianni, um, I feel like gets a ton of credit in Philadelphia and no credit nationally. And I think that's a how we think. I mean, it almost yeah. – it, it goes back to you can't give tons of credit to the GM and tons of credit to the coach. That's just not how this works. And sometimes they unfairly – like and this was always my thing. I, I actually – I won't get into other franchises where, where this happens because that could be it, its whole episode. Um, but – where where do you rank Nick Sirianni? I know this is a tough question, but like, yeah. where do you rank him among kind of the elite coaches? Do you say okay, how we gave him this incredible roster? Like before the season, I did not rank him as a uh, top ten, or I ranked him tenth, I think, in the in, in the ranking. I said, you know what, this is fair. He's ten. You know, he was handed this great roster. Everybody, it's almost like uh, what they they joke about at like LSU, where the reason to go to LSU is that everybody yeah. wins the national championship. I'm like Ed Ogeron won national championship there because of just the talent yeah. pipeline. Uh, Les Miles, you can't even think, uh, won a national championship there and competed every single year because of the talent pipeline there. Um, Nick Sirianni, to you, is what kind of coach in the grand scheme of things? So I I actually think it's less to do with Howie and more to do with the fact that. I think we in the media and, and kind of the, the football industrial complex overall uh, tends to like glorify the, the play calling coach. And, and that's not to take away from your Sean McVay, your Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, that like, but what, what Nick Sirianni does especially well is be the head coach of the team, right? He is right. Uh, it, it, like that, like what he does exceeding well is taking, is knowing the temperature of his team, knowing how to keep his, his team motivated, knowing how to pull off when it needs to, structuring practice a certain way, dealing with players a certain way, coaching the coaches, preparing for situations, like understanding situational football, understanding how to uh, get ready for a Thursday night game, how to get ready for a Monday night game, how to get ready after a bye, how to get ready for a playoff game. Like it's, it's not necessarily the play call on third and four, uh, it's it's more what to do overall and having your team ready. So I, I think that 
I, I look at some of the, the long tenure coaches other than Andy Reid, you know, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, yeah. some of these, you know, Bill Belichick, like, like guys who aren't necessarily the, the offensive play callers and they've had all the success. That's how I would uh, characterize Nick Sirianni. He's a, he's a terrific Ooh. head coach of the football team. I mean, you know, some of these guys remind me of like Greg Popovich, where it's just like the entire thing. You're almost a vibes curator. You're like a DJ. You're a DJ yeah. in chief. You're just like, all right, I'm going to set the mood. Obviously, you do a million things. And like, this is something I talked about with Seth Walter on Sunday. The things we we overrate the play calls now and we overrate the decision making on Sunday because 90 percent of coaching, is how you run practice. Like, I remember. Yeah. uh Someone recent, someone a couple of years ago, and not to bring this into the University of Miami talk, but somebody talking about Manny Diaz, who was the coach in Miami, and somebody gave me a theory that like he is a really good DC when the coach knows how to run practice, and then he can just be the ideas guy and all that stuff. Then he became a head coach. He, there's so many things you just don't know about running practice, and then the whole thing, you know, then he becomes soft because his teams couldn't tackle all that stuff, and it's like. The things we don't see, you see it because you're allowed to at least go to practice and uh, for part of it and training camp and all that stuff. But like we overrate Sundays at the cost of Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays. And so that's what I think everybody misses when we say like, uh, oh, this guy did this or this guy's an idiot or whatever. Even I, I'm, I'm tough on Brandon Staley. But the reason I'm tough on Brandon Staley is not because he went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. It's because he doesn't have his guys ready to play when they have a ton of talent. And that's a Wednesday, yeah. Thursday, Friday problem. And so I think what you're saying, I think we agree here is that like Sirianni is a big picture coach. Yeah, and, and to that point, I'll, I'll, I'll give you like an anecdotal example here. You think about the game the Eagles just played against Washington, and you think about the NFC Championship game last year. Both those games, Devontae Smith makes a, a really important catch in the game that's not a catch, right? And the Eagles rush to the line of scrimmage and get the snap off, right, before the yep. other team can challenge it. And Nick Sirianni will tell you that's something that they rep during practice every single week. And that's not necessarily like it's obviously on Devonte uh, uh, to uh, get the ball to the official quickly, but he yeah. says that's Jason Kelsey and that's Jalen hurts. And that's like the entire offense. And there's, there's very few times over the course of the game where they're making situational mistakes. They have these situational meetings where Nick Sirianni will like he'll, he'll call on a player like the, the Socratic method in law school. I say that I've never been to law school, but uh, from, from what I understand <laughs> where he'll, he'll, he'll say like third and four, two minutes left, you know, a minute 48 left in the game. You're on the 34 yard line. What are you doing here? Yeah. Right there. And, and so the, the team is very well trained for situational football. Yeah, and then that was a thing. Uh, that's Belichick's thing too. It's just like instead of saying we're going to run this uh, this mesh concept, we're going to run this mesh concept from the nine yard line. There's four minutes in the game, and I remember Rodney Harrison basically saying that he thinks Belichick kind of invented that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. But like, not every team does it. Still, not every yeah. team does it. And and I think that that's that's the most important thing. Is it's like, all right, you're not only practicing the catch, you're practicing getting the ball back to the line of scrimmage, or you're practicing yeah. staying in bounds or getting out of bounds if you need to. Like, oh, there's just so yeah. many different things you would need to practice all right i want to do since you've been around the eagles for a long time i want to do badasses with you and so if you're not familiar with the concept okay. it's the most badass person that you've ever seen on a practice field on a on a uh, on a eagles field at the at, at the link uh could be a damn coach does does not matter it's the person that you were around the most where you're just like holy crap this guy whether it was toughness whether it was just putting the team on his back it doesn't matter Give me your Philadelphia Eagles badass that you've been around in your career, Zach Berman. 
So Clifton Gaithers, uh, back in 2013, Clifton Gaithers, like before I ever saw Jordan Maialata or uh, Jordan Davis, like Clifton Gaithers was, was 6'8", 300 plus pounds. I remember talking to Michael Vick and Michael Vick saying, Clifton over there, that's my bodyguard, right? Um, <laughs> so I'm pulling that one out because like Clifton Gathers was, uh, he, he, he fits what you're saying. You don't met like, you don't, I, I hear this expression from Nick Sirianni, the, the guy you want getting off the bus first. Clifton yes. Gathers was the guy you want getting off the bus first. Uh, and then now, I, I mean, Jordan Mailata is like, yeah. he's, he's unlike anything you see. But then I would say when you watch Jalen Carter play football, yeah. Right, Jalen Carter's a big guy. I mean, he, he's not as big as Jordan Davis and Jordan Mailata. But when you watch Jalen Carter play football, uh, he would fit that description. I, I mean, he just he's like out 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 there like taking people's souls. So he is. You watch him in one on one drills against the Cleveland Browns during uh, the joint practices. Uh, you can see he was special. I was talking to a coach at the beginning of the season uh, about the Georgia guys in the college tape, and and he was a head coach. And he said that he's talking about Jordan Davis and wasn't that uh, effusive in the praise of his consistency with the motor. But then he was talking about Jalen Carter and he's like, you know, Jalen Carter has a little bit of that, but his best rep is like the best thing in football. And I thought that was a really interesting way to phrase that. He was like his at Jalen Carter at his best is basically the best thing you can get in football because the play is over. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way. And I think we're starting to see that now. I mean, Chris Long, I was on his show a couple of weeks ago at, before, before the season. And he said he had a, uh, uh, a source. And but Chris Long's got a lot of sources in that locker room and said he was the best player on, on that defense in training camp. And like, that's remarkable uh, mm-hmm. to be that early on that defense, by the way. This isn't this isn't the damn I'm trying to think of a bad defense, but there's a lot of them. Um, but like this, it, it's it, it, this isn't the damn Raiders. Um, I guess they have Mascara. Yeah. Um, but that uh, they, like it, it's remarkable uh, how good he is this early. Yeah. And, you know, it, it brings to mind something. Actually, Jason Kelsey once said this about he said he's played with two players in his career who are like Hall of Fame talents regardless of scheme. You can put them on any scheme, and they and they they be that player. And that that was Jason Peters, and that's Fletcher Cox. Uh, and and yeah. by the way, Jason Peters would be a the, probably the best answer for the previous question. I mean, Jason yeah. Peters owns every room he goes into. He is he's like the badass in the like you don't mess with Jason Peters. You don't t- you don't change the music when he's playing it. Right. Like that's that's Jason Peters. So, uh, but I would f- frame Jalen Carter. In, 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 in that way, like the way you talked about Fletcher Cox and the way you talked about Jason Peters, Jalen Carter's talent is such that it, I understand there's off the field considerations that made him drop to, to number nine. But when you watch him play football, you're like, how isn't this guy the number one pick in the draft? Because, and Dominican Sue and Lawrence, like, like, like there are very few interior players who are like that. Love it. Zach Berman, thanks for stopping by, buddy. Anytime. Thanks for having me.